Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbus and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For For Chemist Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Dander and shortly and we'll be joined during the show by our 250 game veteran of the Victorian Premier League and former Notts County man Dean Hennessy while our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson, he's in the sick bay this week so shout out to you Derek as uh, you uh, recover from your illness hopefully only a week. Now after the explosion in football in Europe last week this week we'll examine the fallout in the second hour of the show but with the A-League hotting up in the run home to the finals and the World Cup qualifiers as well we're going to concentrate on some local stories in the first hour of the show. First up, Adam LaFondra from Sydney FC. He's in quarantine, but he's back. Uh, when the Stockport native signed up with the Indian Super League, it was seen by many as the harbinger of doom for the domestic league with its reduced rights deal, meaning less money for players, a historic double with his Mumbai City teammates later, and LaFondra is back with the Sky Blues soon to make a run at more silverware in Australia. Then another fascinating story at Brisbane. 12 months ago, local boy Jesse Daly was plying his trade with Tacoma Defiance in the US second division when the pandemic hit. He's now a member of Warren Moon's Lions outfit, steadily climbing up the ladder with games in hand. That will be an interesting chat with the young man, plus plenty more in the A-League to wrap up the hour. In the second hour, Willem will kick off with second edition news and the latest on Socceroos and Matilda Central. Then we'll return to the wash-up from last week's Super League fiasco with the Athletics' Raphael Honigstein, one of the best in the business, who we'll also talk to about the critical part the German giants Bayern played in holding back the tide. Also, Bayern stories uh, coming out changing coaches there as well. We'll ask Raphael all about that too. Uh, City have got the treble back in play with the League Cup trophy in the cabinet and excellent results against PSG. All that and more with Dino as we talk more in Europe and then we'll wrap it up with stoppage time and one of our favourite topics with Dino back in the studio, promotion and relegation from the championship. Who'll go up, who'll survive, we'll break it all down. Michael, it's a little bit more of a subdued week in football this week after the craziness of last week. Yeah, the volcanic eruption has slowly started to subside, although there's quite a bit of fallout to talk about mm. uh, as uh, the entrails uh, of Super League we, we go through. But I've been loving watching the A-League, uh, uh, these midweek games. Uh, they, it's just fantastic. Uh, get some dinner, watch a bit of football. Did you enjoy uh, Wednesday night's game, Rob? Central yeah. Coast Mariners in Brisbane, did you... Did did you take a look at that one? You do like to have a go at me because, uh, you know, I don't know where that nastiness of come, you comes out in, Michael, because Central Coast, they're a little club, they're a minnow, and they're doing very, very well. And I do like them for obvious reasons. I have uh, very fond memories of holidays of my youth, and I do think that they should be in the club. I love the fact that they're in the league, and I do hope that they can fight back. No, it wasn't pleasant watching, but um, for our guest uh, in uh, this uh, show this evening, Jesse Daly, I'm sure he had a ball as they kicked some button. He certainly did, and um, we can get a group counselling uh, rate for you and Ray Gad if, if, if you want to, Rob. That's Ray help, Gad help has you been so the, good to this the next show, getting us up and running, and you're just throwing haymakers at him. That's not nice. Well, it's not haymakers, show, it's a very genuine... Michael Edgley style, it's called passive-aggressive haymaker. <laughs> Hello, Willem. 
Graham Arnold is set to select an entirely overseas space squad for next month's training camp to be held in preparation for July's Olympics. The decision means A-League players will remain with their clubs for the final series. The window runs from May 31 until June 15, meaning Arnold himself won't be there. He'll be in Kuwait with the senior squad. But Michael, this seems like an intelligent decision. It retains the quality of the A-League product as much as they can throughout the finals. And Arnie and his squad have said... They've watched every other game this year, so they've seen enough of those guys. A few of the overseas boys can come in and get their chance to impress. Obviously, the uh, A-League would be absolutely decimated if they were missing the Socceroos players out of the A-League as well as the Ollieroos. And we know that uh, most of the Ollieroos are in the, uh, in, the, uh, in the A-League. So, yeah, it makes sense. Obviously, a delicate situation to, to negotiate with uh, the APL. And this, obviously, COVID period has been... You know, so, so much dislocation and odd dates of seasons. So we just hope the domestic and international calendars moving forward can be aligned better so these sort of situations are avoided um, as much as possible. Police have laid charges following a brawl at last weekend's NPL clash between Rockdale Illenden and Sydney United. Riot police were called to the ground after an on-field fight escalated into the stands with those involved reportedly armed with items including metal pickets and milk crates. In the aftermath, Football Australia CEO James Johnson joined 2GB's Ray Hadley for an uncomfortable exchange over the removal of the national club identity policy. There are issues in, in other sports as well, like NRL. There were issues in 2021 between Parramatta and West Tigers where people who behaved incorrectly were banned for years. And well, I'm of course 2GB, a part of the Nine Network, of which we uh, broadcast on. And uh, you know, you, you just know where Ray Hadley's going to go with these sort of things. Uh, you know, it's uh, a situation that's occurred in domestic football on many, many occasions. And uh, and and I, I, I listened to that, um, and I just thought that James had so much more to say and could have said um, in uh, defence of the rich cultural heritage of football in this country. You know, there was an issue; it needed to be dealt with their troublemakers they're not welcome at any sport in this country but uh, I just really think that James uh, um, could have done a, a lot better in that discussion and, and owned the discussion a little more what do you reckon Edge? Absolutely Rob I think uh, reprehensible behaviour a throwback to the bad old times but it had n- bad old times I should say it had nothing to do with the ethnicity or the cultural roots of those two clubs it had everything to do with um, hooligans being being idiots and, uh, and the police and the authorities will go through all of the footage and hopefully all of them will be uh, rounded up and, uh, and hopefully banned and expelled from their clubs and not allowed to go to the football. Simple as that. To Alec News, Western Sydney have signed 37-year-old Scott McDonald on a deal until the end of the season as they desperately try to reverse their ailing form. It will be McDonald's third A-League club since the start of last season, having been an inaugural player at Western Sydney before joining Brisbane. Rob, this move may have seemed prescient a couple of weeks ago because the Wanderers looked destined for the finals and they look like they might lose Mitch Duke uh, to the World Cup qualifiers, but since then, the former as we know, has dropped off a cliff and it looks a bit unnecessary. They're adding yet another striker. Well, I gotta, guess you've got to do what you've got to do, don't you? Um, you know, Carl Robinson uh, came in with big raps and uh, lots of controversy after he left Newcastle Jets and brought players along uh, with him. I, um, I think it, it's one of those situations where, seriously, you, you, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. You know, the fans and supporters will say, mate, come on, we've got to do something. Uh, otherwise, we're going to keep sliding down the ladder and there's uh, big expectations at the Wanderers. So, yeah, it's hard to, for me to criticise. I know many will, but I'm not.
Okay, he might score a goal or two, but I don't think he's the magical sort of mystical puzzle piece that they've been looking for all season. Heading abroad, the UK government is considering approving a rollover of the Premier League's broadcast rights amid fears the usual auction system would see a drop in value. The current deal, worth £4.7 billion, was secured in 2018, with a rollover being considered for the next three-year cycle to provide overall stability. Any such deal would require government approval, given it would contradict competition law. Ministers are believed to want assurance from big clubs that the money would be redistributed down throughout the period before ticking it off. A bit like here in Australia, guys, the sports broadcast media bubble seems to have burst a little bit, but Michael, this would definitely represent a massive step away from Richard Scudamore's uh, auction process. It would. Um, Obviously, they've made a a call on whether they think they can get an increase in rights fees or not, Um, and they're obviously looking to go back to the well with the existing rights holders to try and uh, eke out a similar arrangement, which is about 6.5 billion US dollars, 5.2 billion from Sky, 1.4 billion from BT, and about uh, 90 million US dollars from Amazon, who only sort of have 20 games. The rest are be- being shared between BT and the lion's share going to Sky. So if they can roll that over, it sort of demonstrates that they can protect their existing revenue and sort of relook to re- reboot their uh, auction process from the next period. But to me, it's it's smart business if they can do that deal and, and they probably should. Uh, 6.5 billion US dollars. It's a lot of money to um, play games with if you don't uh, think you can increase uh, and maybe get a decrease. And do you think we'll see some sort of guarantee to make sure it's entrenched that they go back to the auction system next time? Is that incumbent on them or can this just sort of be the start of what could be a slippery slope for that old system? Uh, I'm not sure about that. Uh, I think the old system stood the test of time. It's just unique times with COVID, isn't it? Certainly is unique times, Michael. And the Italian Football Federation has passed a ruling which will see any club still pushing for a European Super League by June the 21st banned from the Serie A. This means Juventus will have until that date to formally back down from the European reform of which chairman Andrea Agnelli was considered a key player. Milan may also have to clarify their position after Real Madrid president Florentino Perez claimed they also remain involved in the push. Well, Florentino Perez... He's not helping anyone. He's None the uh, least himself at this stage. No, he's sort of uh, embarrassing himself. I mean, uh, you know, power and uh, and money, uh, things that Florentino is used to. He's a billionaire. He runs an international uh, building conglomerate. And uh, he, he set this whole thing up and he uh, has watched it crumble before his very eyes. So uh, he's not going to get this Super League up in its current format. Um, the billionaires who signed up with him have all gone running for cover. Um, There are countries around the world, governments around the world who are putting in in, uh, legal steps to prevent it happening again. So no, um, it's just uh, embarrassing for him, I think. When do you think the last time Florentino was told no was? Uh, Last week. And and before that? Yeah, no, he's not used to no, is he, Florentino? So um, (laughs) it's embarrassing for him, really. He's uh, he's made a whole whole mess of this thing. But we'll we'll talk about it with Raphael Raphael Honigstein uh, uh, in the second hour of the show. All right, well well done. But we're going to talk A-League in this hour. We're going to talk to Adam LaFondra next. He's back from the Indian Super League. He's won the double over there for the first time in that competition. Jesse Daly from the Brisbane Rule. We'll talk more A-League at the back end of the show. So stick around. Heaps more coming up on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most 
Yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio, NTS News Talk Sport Broadcasting across Australia, around the world on whatever podcast catcher you are tuning in to us on. Now, when he left Australia, Adam LaFondra had uh, done pretty much everything in the Australian game and uh, and left with the good wishes of all in Australian football. We didn't know that he'd be back, though, uh, but he is back as a, a championship and a premiership winning player from the Indian Super League, and we welcome him to Box to Box. How are you, Adam? I am very good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Not at all. So uh, you, when you left, you, you did go on loan and uh, and, and your club uh, uh, gave you every encouragement. You'd, you'd done everything you, you'd been asked of and more when you, you came to Sydney FC, scoring goals, winning titles and, and being an all-round um, uh, start for the side. Uh, did you have any thought in the back of your mind that, that there might be a return to Australia or, or did you, when you left, think it, that was it? Um, to be fair, when when I did leave, obviously it was you know very well documented. I never really wanted to leave Sydney. Mm. It was just you know the uncertainty of how the league was going to go forward, how the club was going to respond to obviously the COVID period, and mm. and obviously the they couldn't really financial plan beyond that. No one knew what was going to happen with the league, etc. So for me, that was very un- unsettling for me and my family. I've got three young children and my wife, and you know the club were fantastic with me and and helped helped me really move really they were they were the ones who sort of helped me move to Mumbai and and, and sort of engineer that move for me to, to obviously to sort out the predicament that we were both in um, and and obviously when, when we spoke about I don't know me moving it was sort of left open ended that you know if there's a mutual interest of me coming back and then wanting me back then it'll be something we, we both would look at and, and obviously it has to be right for both uh, parties um, and you know that's obviously what's happened here. Um, I love my time in Sydney, and I'm hoping to, you know, come out of quarantine and pick up just where I left off. And we'll talk to Sydney a little later as you as you endure the, the two weeks quarantine. But uh, your time in <laughs> India, uh, look, we all know what's happening there. It's a tragedy uh, unfolding before our very eyes. Uh, um, you did get out just in time, uh, fortunately. But uh, uh, it seemed that uh, that football is growing too. Uh, you just look at the international players. Uh, there's Spanish players galore over there. Uh, players from all over the world, and the quality of football in India has has improved. Uh, uh, what were your impressions of the competition? And- you know the the obvious question is comparisons to the A League. Yeah, it's definitely an improving league. I think um, people have almost written the league off as a retirement league, and it certainly wasn't that. I wasn't planning on going there retiring, um, and the, I think the foreigners there as well were a lot younger than the foreigners that are normally there. You know, I think predominantly you see thirty five plus going over to India, and it, I think there was a lot of you know around thirty years old and below in India as the foreigners. Um, and I, I think the league surprised me really. Um, I quite enjoyed it. It was a very enjoyable league. Obviously, the the quality is is probably down on the A League, but there is some definitely some some really good young Indian players coming through and breaking through. And um, I, I've said it before. I, I I can really see in the next five ten years, you know, someone breaking out from India and and being a really good player and, and maybe getting across into Europe into the top leagues because. You know they love football there. The the growth of that game that I seen um, in just a short time there was was huge, and and it can only help with teams like Man City over there. I think Borussia Dortmund are over there. I think Leipzig are over there. Rangers have got a an affiliation with one team, FC Basel as well. So you know if they get the infrastructure right and the right academy coaching, then the world's their oyster. I think that's you know that's where everything comes from is investing in the youth and 
And obviously, you know, you reap the rewards off the back of that, not now, but in 10 years' time, five, 10 years' time. And I think that, that'll be the case in India. I think, I'm not going to say they're going to win the World Cup in five to 10 years, but I think, obviously, they'll be a lot further down the line than they are right now at this moment. This is Box to Box. We're talking to Adam LaFondra returning to Sydney FC after uh, a, a great season in uh, the Indian Super League. Adam, interested in your experience off the pitch in India. We understand you probably didn't see too much of the yeah. country itself. How did you go with the with the hub setup? Was it um, did it play out as expected, or did it gradually get sort of more and more restrictive as the season went on? Actually, it became less restrictive as the the season went on. Um, you know, we were sort of led to believe that you know it was easing. The, the COVID worries were were easing a little bit. Um, for me, it was definitely a, a roller coaster. You know, some days I would feel fantastic, and, and other days I'd feel a bit mentally drained from it, and a bit, you know, um, homesick. I'd guess, you know, from uh, my wife and children, and you know, as as a footballer, you're not really, you know, you don't really think of them sort of things when you know it's normal life. You take it for granted that you see your wife, your children, or, or your partners, or whatever, and you know that's just common life. But in this situation, I don't think I was quite prepared for. You know the mental challenges ahead of me, and I think the city group and and the team I, I was on, we were very fortunate that we were we were almost like a band of brothers that we could always you know rely on, and uh, if we needed to talk, we had people on hand to talk to, and um, you know I think we were quite lucky in that aspect because, like I say, it was you know some days I, I could have a down day and, and think of you know I'm not really feeling it today, but um, t- to be fair, there wasn't many of them days that went about. Uh, it certainly was a, a new experience and something that I've grown from. And as you were over there, I assume you kept an eye on your, your Sydney teammates. You would have had plenty of time to, to watch the matches. And you mentioned earlier yeah. you were dreaming of maybe orchestrating some sort of move back to Australia. Since that's been on the cards and ticked off, what's the process been like returning? They wanted to bring me back straight after the season ended in India, which, you know, with me and impossible, I wanted to go home. I'd been away from my family for five months, so I needed to go home and, and see my wife and kids and, uh, and obviously spend a little bit of time at home with the family. And um, there were still discussions going on. And um, probably after about five weeks, which led us probably about a week ago, really, we, we got it all sorted. And, you know, I flew out pretty much straight away and, and straight into quarantine, looking to contribute as soon as I come out of, of quarantine. And like I say, I want to, you know, hit the strap as soon as uh, I get out of here and, and try and, you know, win us some trophies come the end of the season. That's that's what I'm here to do. Um you know, I think Sydney sort of wet my appetite when I put the first time round when you know I won the grand final in my first year, and you know uh, I've not seen winning trophies since. So hopefully, um, I'm, I bring the the trophies with me. And uh, Adam, speaking of, of your family, um, they uh, they weren't able to be with you in India, but but where are they now? Obviously, you know it's been a, it's a really disruptive period, and the little ones want to see their dad. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've had, obviously, I've had to leave them in England for the time being. They're, they're finishing off their school year this year. Then uh, once the season's over here and I, I finish the Asian Champions League, uh, I've got about eight weeks to go home, uh, finish off, you know, sorting my house out at home and uh, and packing up and then, you know, move back to Australia and regain, regain normal life, I guess, and just get the kids back into school and getting, you know, a bit of normality back about uh our life and hopefully then the the COVID worries have, have gone completely from the world. Yeah, well, good luck with that, mate. Um, we uh, wish you all the very best. And and speaking of the Asian Champions League, uh, I mean, will you be cup tied? That's the the question because you you, you know you qualify for uh, Mumbai, but uh, no doubt um, Sydney FC will be there as well. The the uh, trajectory the club season's going on right now. 
Um, no, because we're competing in, I think it's like this season's Asian Champions League, whereas Mumbai in next season's Champions mm. League, because FC Gora were, were currently playing in the east side of the draw now, and I think they've just been knocked out, I think. So it's more next season's is Mumbai's okay. turn in the Champions League, and you know, hope I can get Sydney back in the Champions League for next season as well. And now that you return to uh, the A-League, Adam, the finals are right ahead of you guys. There's a man in the chair that you departed called Bobo. Have you been in touch with him to let him know that you're the man in charge and that the number nine <laughs> shirt is yours? How are you guys going to make it work between the two of you? You know, I'm quite excited to play with him. You know, uh, obviously he's got a great record at Sydney. And um, I'm, like I say, I'm really looking, to, looking forward to working with him and, you know, working with Costa again. I think me and Costa had a great relationship prior to me leaving. And obviously him and Bobo and Costa are playing really well at the moment as well. So, you know, I don't think the the headaches for me. I think it's more for the coach to decide how we, we line up. Obviously, I've got to get myself match fit. Um, obviously, I'll be training ready as soon as I come out of quarantine. But obviously, playing a game is totally different to training. So, you know, um, however the coach uses me, I'm, I'm just happy for that. I just want to contribute to the boys and help us win trophies. And just watching the A-League season as you've done so far, uh, it's not exactly the picture you would have expected with, uh, well, up until um, the last 48 hours, Central Coast, uh, you know, setting up the top end. Uh, victory, it's just all imploded there. Grant Brebner's been sacked and Tony Popovich is coming back. Uh, there's new clubs in the competition now, MacArthur, FC. Uh, but Sydney, obviously, uh, yeah, they, were, they were sort of teetering on that top six. So must have been nice to just watch... Uh, Stevie Corica get them uh, back into uh, the winning form and uh, and and up to the uh, the top end of the ladder, ready for you to run out another pitch in the sky blue uh, jersey. Obviously, I've watched the majority of the games for the boys, and you know what's been evident is how dominant they've been in the games. And you know, um, I'm really looking forward to doing that again and dominating teams and and obviously putting away chances because you know that's what I'm here to do. That's what you know I'm sort of born and bred on is scoring goals. So. You know, like I said, I can't wait just to, to get out on the pitch and, and contribute. And like you said, the, the, the season boils down to the finals, really. And, and hopefully I'm hitting top form. And, and it seems as if we're coming into good form as well at this moment in time. So, you know, hopefully they go hand in hand and we end up with some silverware at the end of it. Yeah, well, Adam, when this season started, it was all doom and gloom around football in Australia. The, the football rights deal had uh, been cut in half. Uh, COVID was here. Uh, players were leaving. But you returned to a competition which has been uh, surprisingly um, one of the best in recent years with a positive future around rights deals and, um, and, and new clubs and exciting stories all about it. So uh, we're sure that uh, you'll add that uh, silver lining to uh, Sydney FC, mate, when you return and, uh, and really uh, head into the uh, the pointy end of the season with uh, with some momentum and uh, we're looking forward to seeing you running it back out on the park again mate. Cheers, thanks very much, can't wait No worries, Adam LaFondra, he's back in Australia and that's a good thing for Sydney FC and football in general Alright, stick around, after the break we're going to continue the A-League theme, we're talking to Jesse Daly had uh Three seasons over at Tacoma, the Tacoma Defiance, and uh, he was caught up in a whole uh, world of, of COVID pain himself, but he's back and, and the Roar are doing some fantastic things under Warren Moon. We'll talk to Jesse Daly next on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal. Yes, this is box to box. We're focusing on the domestic league in this opening hour of the show this week. We talked to Adam Lafondra before the break. He's come back from India, a man who came back from the United States, uh, playing for the Tacoma Defiance. Jesse Daly, local boy from Brisbane, he's now doing some great things with Warren Moon's Brisbane Lions outfit. How are you, Jesse? 
Good, thank you, and uh, thanks for having me. No, not at all. Well, uh, uh, the uh, the club uh, is uh, heading in the right direction, uh, according to the latter. But uh, just going back to uh, um, twelve months ago, when you you were uh, you know you played fifty games for Tacoma in the uh, the US Second Division uh, Professional Football League, uh, and uh, and you you did well. We were watching your you know highlights reel on Facebook, and uh, mate, you uh, you know you've got a, a nice little package package there, and obviously uh, that was used to encourage the fans at Brisbane for, for your return but uh, you know, just tell us about what it was like there because uh, you, you got the call from Brisbane, uh, you know Warren Moon well and uh, and it was COVID central at the time, uh, the States was the worst place in the world. Yeah it was a really tough place to be at the time um, but I was there for two and a half three years and the first two years I, I loved every minute um, and the last year yeah, it was, it was quite tough um, as, as you mentioned yeah, COVID had quite an impact um, so, so yeah, it was it was a tough place to be for the last kind of nine months that I was there. Um, but yeah, it was a it was an awesome experience for me, and I think it like holds me in good stead now for where I'm at in my career. It sure does, and just watching that polish that um, that you're displaying in, in recent times, you know, the feeder club to come at defiance to the Seattle Sounders, it's a nice part of the world to live in. You you had t- two years there as a young man, as a professional sportsman. Uh, you'd say you, you had a great time. Uh, did you did you really embrace the the, the local lifestyle? Um, and uh, you know, and, and what's your impressions of uh, of uh, America's support of football? Um, you know, obviously it's uh, you know it's a minnow compared to uh, their their uh, native game. But uh, yeah, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, first of all, Seattle, Tacoma is an amazing place in the world. Um, it's, yeah, really beautiful. Um, and I think as a country in general, um, as a sporting country in general, it's, yeah, pretty, pretty cool, the infrastructure facilities. Um, and I think they're, they're a bit ahead of us, um, in that regard. And there's obviously some massive sports over there, um, American football, <coughs> basketball, and even at um, the college level, there's uh, yeah, there's so much money in in the sport, um, and it does get filtered down. Um, so so yeah, it was an incredible experience as a young man to to be there um, at that time. And obviously, they got the World Cup bid while I was over there as well. So they're building towards mm-hmm. that now um, in 2026, I think that is. So, so yeah, they're definitely heading in the right direction. Jesse, I'm just interested on how you got to the US in the first place. You played your, your junior football, you were the, the young rule captain, you'd been at South Melbourne, Brisbane Lions as well. So to then head over to the MLS is not a traditional pathway for a young Australian mm. football. So just wondering what led to that move? Um, there's an Aussie coach over there at the time who was actually the head coach of the, of the second team, um, John Hutchinson. He had, had a good career here in Australia with the Mariners. Um, and he was over there and he was kind of just on the lookout for some Aussie talent, um, maybe some that have missed out on the A-League and not quite broken through yet. And I was 19, 20 at the time. Um, and he just invited me over for a, for a two-week trial uh, originally. And I went over. The trial was successful. Um, and then we kind of, yeah, just went from there. But no, I'm very grateful to... John Hutchinson, um, he kind of yeah gave me my first start in the professional game, and I don't think I'd be where I am today without uh, without him taking that chance on me. 
This is Box to Box. We're talking to Jesse Daly back from the States playing for the Brisbane Raw, doing great things under Warren Moon. And from, yeah, John Hutchinson to another manager who looks to have had a huge impact on your career, Warren Moon. Now he's in his first full season uh, as an A-League coach and he's one of the more undemonstrative, sort of under-the-radar coaches going about the league. So he worked with you at, at Lions FC in the NPL and now with the Raw, uh, going back to the young Raw days as well. So what's your relationship been like with him over the years and what's he done for your career? Yeah, it's been really good. I have a good relationship um, with with the gaffer. I actually first had him as a coach when I was 14, 15 um, in, in my school team. Um, and that's kind of where my relationship started with him. I was only with him at Lions for probably, uh, yeah, not long at all, probably four to six weeks. Um, so I had the most to do with him. Yeah, with school football growing up and... Um, and then obviously he brought me back to Australia when when he got the job um, at Brisbane and yeah we're obviously doing all right at the moment um, but we've got a pretty hectic schedule and a lot of games coming up so we just need to keep our heads down keep doing what we're doing um, and hopefully we end up in a decent place by the end of the year. Yeah, so it has been a bit of an up and down season for you guys. You started really well. You were right at the top of the table. You then sort of plumbed the depths of the table, and you got written off by by quite a few. But yeah, you are now flying. You put four away uh, against the Mariners, and you're looking really defensively solid as well. You are chasing the pack points wise, though. Does it feel within the group like things have have ticked upwards? Yeah, for sure. I think at the moment um, we've got a small but kind of tight knit group. Um, and I think that works in our favour. Um, we do have a lot of games coming up, so I'll have to check in in a few weeks as well. <laughs> yeah, um, you do. How that goes. Um, but, but no, yeah, we've got, we've got a really close-knit group. Um, and, and yeah, I think that kind of, kind of helps us. We don't have big-name marquees like some other clubs, so we have to, we have to make the most out of everyone in our squad and, um, I think we're doing that at the moment. Yeah, you sure are, and, uh, and you, you alluded to those games in hand that you have. So, you know, as you look at the ladder, uh, you uh, uh, as a club, the Raw, the the the, um, the club that has the most games in hand, having only played sixteen. So you're sitting there on on twenty six points. Will and mentioned you're chasing the pack, but uh, you know, is is it difficult for for the the boys to uh, to to not look at the the points that are that are available on offer and where you might be on the ladder if you do win those games and you know really you should be second or third. I mean you know you, you can't help but look at these things, can you, mate? Uh, I think like seriously at the moment we're just taking one game at a time. Oh, come got... on, Jesse, one game at a time. We've heard that before. <laughs> Surely you're thinking about it. <laughs> no, you can obviously dare to dream, but we do yeah. have. Uh, like some good experienced heads, we've got uh, Jamie Young, Jack Hingott, mm. um, Jay O'Shea, Tommy Aldred, who have all been around the been around the traps. So they don't let us get too far ahead of ourselves um, mm. at all. And we and we know like how quickly the league can swing and how quickly it can turn in, in an unfavourable direction. So yeah. I think if we keep picking up points, and I know it is cliche, and I know it's probably the boring thing to say, <laughs> but if we do. 
if we do keep concentrating on the next game and doing all right, then mm-hmm. I think we'll end up in a decent place. And just a final one from me, Jesse. You mentioned you've got a tight-knit squad, but I think you've got an ace up the sleeve who hasn't quite shown all that he can offer this season, and that's Masakato Kudo. He spent a lot of time injured, and he scored against the Mariners, and I thought it was telling that you all got around him as a group that shows that he's probably quite a valued member of the squad, even though he hasn't been performing to the sort of casual observer, what we might have expected. So what's he like around the group, and, and do you think he's, he's getting back to his best ahead of the finals? Um, he is probably one of the nicest guys I've played with in football. Um, and I think you could tell when he scored his goal, everyone was, was so happy for him because he's just a gem of a bloke. Um, and we love having him at the club. He's, yeah, as I said, he's an, an awesome guy. And obviously he's, he shows his qualities in training and you guys got to see it the other night um, when he scored. But yeah, I think um, onwards and upwards for Mass. And another a player who was on the score sheet against the Mariners, Alex Parsons. He's sort of come out of nowhere to the casual observer, but I believe he's come through the same sort of system as yourself. Looks to have a beautiful left foot. What can we expect from him going forward? Yeah, I think he's another big talent that obviously people within the club are aware about. Um, but maybe, yeah, people from the outside um, yeah, yeah, don't know much about him. But I think you'll see much more of him in the weeks to come and hopefully um, years to come as well. Excellent. Jesse Wall was uh, a young man uh, who's, uh, you know, got some games behind him but got plenty of years ahead of you in your career. We'll uh, be watching with interest as you and uh, and your team at the Raw uh, continue on this season, mate. So good luck. Thanks again for joining us. And, uh, mate, we'll be watching you uh, against Wellington this weekend and uh, um, and uh, see, uh, see if you can keep that momentum going. Legend, thanks for having me. No worries, Jesse Daly. All right, stick around on Box to Box. We're going to talk more A-League after the break. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial yes, goal of all. Box to Box on 9 Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. It's been a good first hour. Adam LaFondra, it's good to have him back. It sounded like he wanted to come back. Um, so uh, he uh, got the best of the Super League over there in India. And uh, Jesse Daly, too, uh, back from the States and doing some good things at the Raw. We're going to talk more A-League in a moment. Dino's in the studio. But before we do, it's a little over a week till Mother's Day. So get yourself sorted. Mums love us. We know that no matter what. Like the time you cut your brother's hair on the school photo day. I think we did a few things that were a little bit more elaborate than that at the Gilbert household. I know the Edgeleys probably would have as well. No, mums don't like that stuff, but they cover up for us. But this Mother's Day, you're going to give mum a special fragrance at a special price from Chemist Warehouse. Michael, it's the place to go, isn't it? It is the place to go. Plenty of great stuff to buy your mum at Chemist Warehouse. You don't need to go anywhere else, just go there. Exactly, including Versace Bright Crystal 90 mils for $69.99, Narciso Rodriguez for her 100 mils, just $89.99, Paco Rabanne Olympia 80 mils, $99.99, and Giorgio Armani C, which means yes, of course, 100 mils. Willem, $149.99. Expect that you're going to go out to Chemist Warehouse and look after your beautiful mother Cheryl and uh, buy something nice. That is a bargain, Rob. A chemist warehouse. It is. Great savings. They're every single day, gentlemen. Let's talk A-League. The Dino's first... Here. Dino, welcome. Dino. Oh, yeah, good to be, uh, yeah, good to be back again. So, uh, 
Uh, nice to be in the studio. The first headline on the newspaper this week, I don't think you're going to enjoy it, Rob. Stadgers Mariners out of puff. Now, that is a question, not a statement. Let's discuss. They've won just one of their last eight. As we flagged a couple of weeks ago, Michael, they're working extremely hard for those draws, the 2-2 against Sydney, another example of that. Last Saturday, and they looked flat, completely out of gas against Brisbane Raw, and they had four put past them. That's the sort of performance they haven't turned in all season. Um, They are sitting third at the moment. They've got 31 points. That's only six ahead of the Wanderers, who are in ninth with 25th. So there is a danger that they could be swallowed up by the entire chasing pack. Dean, are you concerned? They've had a thin squad and a young squad all year. They've managed to sort of keep the momentum going. Um, Are you concerned? Uh, They they need to win against a victory this Sunday at uh, Amy Park. I mean, look, the, the first part of the season, certainly the first half of the season, was excellent. And uh, they, they were the surprise package for me uh, in the league, you know, and I thought Stadge did a fabulous job. But I, you know, I watched the game um, uh, against Brisbane and I just thought Brisbane just were just sparkling compared to, to where, where they were. And they look like they are a little bit tired, a little bit... Um, death for uh, so you know is this uh, the hallmarks of a young side yeah in, it is I mean uh, yeah because as, as the season goes on it gets harder and harder it's like you know you, you feel like you've got weights on your legs all the time um, and and for me it's just look it's it's just I think they've just got to try and hang in there and still just try and be as competitive as they can and just try and stay into the in the six for me uh, because <clears throat> they're lucky really they had a really good start and they are uh, a young side, Michael, so they need all the experienced hands on decks. And that's why it was a real surprise to see Marcos Oreño with a really unnecessary red card uh, against Brisbane Raw. He's been brilliant for them this season and quite a leader and seemed sort of quite a calm, sort of level-headed character. So to see that uh, was a big surprise. What was going on there? Yeah, I thought... I watched the game closely. Uh, I actually thought until that point Central Coast were... Yeah, they were just hanging on and uh, they just needed to uh, take advantage of some of the... Um, some of the possession that they had, especially in their, their front third, they, they, they had quite a few chances. And then when he got sent off, they, uh, they well and truly didn't cope with having 10 men. Um, I thought he was a little unlucky. He was just late on a tackle and it was one of those ones where he scraped down the shin of a player and um, originally got a yellow card and then the VAR review um, instructed the referee to look at it and he, he changed it to a red. So he was a bit stiff. It'll be fascinating to see them go up against the victory this weekend. Uh, yeah, that's a big game, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, look, um, I think the and problem they really, have... you know, I mean that 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 season turning point. You know, I referred to it as a potential dead cat bounce last week, not expecting it to happen, but it did uh, against the Wanderers. And then, you know, they put in a real creditable performance in the Big Blue uh, um, against Sydney midweek. Yeah, a bit so, better, weren't they? they yeah. I think they structured up uh, a little bit better. But what was interesting for me about Central Coast is of the remaining games, I think uh, five of the next six seven are away because they had a lot of those because of the COVID draw they, mm-hmm. they had a lot of games early when other locations in Australia were sort of in mini lockdown so um, I think Central Coast um, yeah, it'll, it'll, for me uh, it'll be a real travesty if they don't make the finals but if they hit the skids they could slip out of the top six as uh, quicker than uh, one of uh, Tim Gilbert eating his hot dogs <laughs> okay, so that game is to be played at Amy Park. Uh, now, Amy Park, another game that was played there throughout the week, made headlines for all the wrong reasons. Western United's home game against Newcastle drew just 993 people. Many reasons why, of course. They are, of course, a wandering club. Without a home, it was Monday night. Uh, the Jets are the bottom side, so not particularly big draw cards there. But 
it's still silent on the stadium. Maybe four or five, or maybe four or five weeks ago, we had word from Chris Palavanis that they had the planning permit approved. Since then, silence once again. This is the whole reason why they got the license in the first place was they were going to base themselves in the West. They were going to build their own stadium. They're now based in Melbourne C- CBD and still silence on the stadium. I think the club's struggling to articulate a narrative. We don't hear from the leaders of the club very often. Uh, I think there's. Uh, a real question mark in the Melbourne football community about their place, where they where they fit. Um, I'd like to see Steve Horvath um, and the the chairman uh, doing as much media as possible to to articulate a vision and narrative for the club because I think it's sadly missing. But, but on it's the so f- tough, isn't it, Edge? In this yeah, Melbourne market, it is market, tough. Uh, but they, they need know, to do more. Everything. I mean, even you know, I've I've um, covered. Uh, the NRL, the Melbourne Storm, for many, many years, and uh, and and for all of the great success that they've had in, in the competition, they still get bumped into the, the you know the back of the sports pages, and uh, well, uh, and, yeah. and so football, you know, is a growing sport without the money that the NRL and the AFL have. You know, look, you know, the the, the, the feeling that I have is that you know we all wanted expansion, so uh, you know I, I, I'm just hesitant to be too hard on them when we wanted expansion and we know the game doesn't have the kind of money that the other big competitions do. So you know, I'm a little bit reluctant to go too hard at them. But they, have to, they have to fight for their spot. They have to fight for their fans. They're the third Johnny on the spot, aren't they? The third club in Melbourne. Uh, for me, they, they could be just doing a little bit more to articulate their narrative and vision. And 993 people at an A-League game is, uh, is quite unacceptable. Yeah, times are tough, but we just want a, a little bit more communication. Dean, I wanted to ask you about a feature of this season, which has been the midweek fixtures. Obviously, that's been out of necessity yeah. because of COVID-19, but I just wonder if there's a little bit of crowd fatigue now that the weather's sort of turned and a lot of people are back playing local sport. Michael mentioned uh, in the news that it's nice for him to have a bit of dinner and sit there and watch the game, but when you want to draw people out to the game, I think now we're starting to see why, if possible, next season they should just factor in games Friday to, to Sunday and maybe the odd midweek one. I think there's just an element of, of fan fatigue creeping into this season. Well, you're quite right, even like in, in, in our domestic competition here in the NPL, you know, their games are played predominantly from Friday to possibly like a Monday, maybe that, that would be the window they would play in. So that's back and that's been back now for about eight or ten weeks. Then the, the lower leagues have all just now started, so they're up into around round five. So all of a sudden, I think the midweek game will get squashed in there and, and I think it's it's going to struggle. So I think moving forward, I think if we go to back to the weekends and, and have them on like double, triple headers, depending you know throughout the day, I think that's a better outcome. And what that means, Dean, is a lot of those fans who are players um, are then training Tuesday, Thursday nights, which means they can't watch watch the midweek matches. Uh, there's something else that you haven't sort of um, touched on, Will, I and mean, that is the fact that we're playing at the same time as the AFL and the NRL. So if you're in Melbourne or Sydney, um, let's not forget that football fans do have, a lot of them, AFL... Uh, interest and NRL interest in Sydney so um, they are mixing up their viewing and uh, attendance Um, and and I think uh, it was a little naive by the leaders of our uh, game to have rhetoric around the lines of I think at the time James Johnson you know we've got to take him on at the you know our game is our game it's better and we'll take him on but I think we have to be nuanced about this and and realise that summer when we have that uh, space for ourselves, is a much better way of uh, pulling people to games in terms of attendance. 
Couldn't agree more. The next point to expand on is Sydney not done with yet. We, of course, spoke to Adam LaFondra a little bit earlier on. His return shapes as a huge uh, factor heading into the finals, Dino. They've had three wins and three draws from their last six. We know that they haven't properly um, uh, made up for his pressure and his goals, but they are up to second. They're not smashing teams. They're doing just enough. They only beat the victory by one goal, but you only need to score one goal and keep them out to get the three points. And they're very experienced come finals as well. They only need to get there. And in terms of who they might lose, they'll keep their Ollie Roos now. It'll probably only be Ryan Grant who heads to Q8 with the Socceroos. So I think they're looming as a big threat. Massive threat because uh, I watched the game the other night and Costa Barbarossa's missed three one-on-ones and uh, you put Alfie LaFonda in that team and he's not going to miss three. All of a sudden a 1-0 victory against Melbourne becomes a 3-0 or 4-0 victory and the, the change is very different. I think Costas Barbarossa's has had a, a really ordinary season and uh, he was there to re- replace LaFonda and he gets in opportunities to score and for some reason he just can't stick it away. So I think he's going to be the casualty of Alfie coming back. Lafondra was excellent in his first spell. Um, did it in the in the best leagues in in England as well. So you know he came with a really good pedigree. And um, even though like he's coming back, he uh, he won't be forgetting about where the where the ball's got supposed to be, and he'll be uh, he'll be breaking the net. So I think yeah. sooner he gets in, I think that will give Sydney a real big boost to maybe chase uh, Melbourne City down. And just another couple of news bites to leave you with. Robert Dama Traore is facing an independent disciplinary and ethics committee hearing on a Thursday night. If you look back at some of the precedents around the charge, which you know he, he struck the referee when he was sent off. Danny Vukovic, of course, got nine months back in 2008. Probably more relevant is when Thiago Calvano got eight weeks for Sydney FC in 2013. So Adama's season could well be over. That was pretty unnecessary when he hit uh, Chris Beath. And finally, just breaking news, Daniel Georgievsky's left Western Sydney and he's joined Melbourne City for the final finals on a replacement injury deal for Nathaniel Atkinson. So expect to see Georgievski in the finals. Mm, well, Georgievski is an exciting player when he's on his game, so uh, interesting to see what he can add to, to City. Interesting uh, guy, funny guy too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, well done. Good uh, open, opening out of the show, guys. Uh, we're going to pivot to Europe next. We're going to talk to Raphael Honigstein. We're going to wrap up that Super League story, and we'll talk more Europe and uh, a bit of championship for Dino, especially because he's come back into the studio. Stick around in the next hour on box to box now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbus and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For the Chemist, Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Absolutely fantastic! Welcome back to Box to Box, second edition news shortly with Will Vendetta at the Athletics. Raphael Honigstein, one of the most authoritative voices on football in Europe. We're looking forward to chatting with Raphael about the fallout from the European Super League story last week. More on Europe on the pitch with Dina and we'll wrap it up with stoppage time. Talking championship, Willem. Um, that will be uh, a nice way to end the show as we get into the pointy end of the, uh, the top flight uh, and the second division in, uh, in English football. Looking forward to that, Rob. But before that, we've got Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. We've all watched so much sport, so much football on the television over the last year and a bit. But, Michael, we all know with international travel warming up, there's nothing that beats the in-stadium experience. And the first step to supporting the Socceroos, Matildas and Ollie Roos in person is to sign up to the Green and Gold Army mailing list. To do so, head to ggatravel.com.au and be amongst the first to know about future overseas tours. Sam Kerr and Chelsea have it all to do in their Champions League semi-final against Bayern Munich, having gone down 2-1 away in the first leg. Kerr played the full match. She was a little bit quiet and with the second leg uh, this Sunday. It's not quite a a friendly time for us on the eastern seaboard here of Australia, guys. 9.30pm on Sunday is the second semi. 
uh, between Bayern Munich and Chelsea. Sam's also been nominated for the FA Women's Super League Player of the Year. You can jump on the website and vote for Sam there. Great news at Arsenal where Steph Catley was on the bench for the first time since December as she returns from injury, while at Bristol, Ella Mastrantonio's late equaliser gave them a point as they look to stave off relegation. Elsewhere, Ivy Lewitt continues to string consistent minutes together for Sevilla in Spain. Amy Harrison came off the bench for PSV as they won their first final against Ajax. And Betty Goad played a full match for FC Meppen as they also look to stay in the top German division. And Michael, it's been reported by Anthony Colangelo in the age that Lisa Devanna has been included in a three-day Matildas training squad to be held next week. Wouldn't that be a story? That is a story, and she deserves that inclusion. Um and there'll be an announcement, I imagine, in the next couple of days, and there'll be a couple of other sneaky players that'll get uh, selected in that as well, uh, mm. which uh, I know about and I can't say, otherwise people will kill me. That's yeah. very strong. Yes, it is. Okay. Um, fascinated to That's <laughs> the look you read your face suggests, yeah. Uh, we're reading between the lines, and anyone who <laughs> listens to this show uh, often enough will... Perhaps read between them themselves. Moving on to the gents. 20-year-old Oli Roo hopeful Zach Duncan has made his return for AGF Aarhus in Denmark, having recovered from the ACL injury he sustained last May. Now, if you remember, that was just a month before the Tokyo Olympics were meant to be, so that was a heartbreaking injury. But with a delayed start, or a full year delay, he's now got a reprieve. So expect him to maybe be called into the Oli Roos camp next month. In Croatia, Denny Juric has scored and assisted another for Croatian top flight side Sibinek in their win over Slaven Koprivnik. They remain mid-table and he has 11 goals, the fifth most for the league. And to Asia to finish off, Aaron Moy and Shanghai Port, formerly SIPG, kicked off the Chinese Super League season with a 6-1 win. And finally, a bit of a forgotten man of Australian football, Aurelio Vidmar. He's going to leave the Singaporean side of which he was their inaugural coach, the Lion City Sailors, and return to Thai side BG Patum United, who he managed when they were known as Bangkok Glass. Never forget Aurelio though, him and Tony combining in those, uh, particularly those matches against Argentina, there were some glorious moments, Aurelio with the long hair and, uh, and Tony with the short, um, they were a uh, fixture in the soccer outfit for, for a long time there and uh, yeah, we just uh, watch his uh, Trivial, trivial pursuit question interest. for you women, uh, uh, Willem, women? sorry, women. I shouldn't call you women, <laughs> trivial pursuit question for Willem, uh, which Vidmar brother called Adelaide a pissant town? That would have been Aurelio. That would have been Aurelio. Mm-hmm. Called his hometown a pissant town. How's that? Champions League news. Manchester City have fought back from a half-time deficit to defeat PSG 2-1 in their Champions League semi-final first leg. Marquinhos opened the scoring for the home side after 15 minutes, but a pair of free kicks, one accidental, one intentional, put City on the cusp of their first Champions League final. In the other semi-final, Chelsea will take an away goal into their home leg against Real Madrid, having drawn one all at the Alfredo Di Stefano. Of a full Champions League wrap with Dino a little bit later on, but for now, Rob, it looks like an all-English final could be on the cards once again. Yeah, it could be. Uh, I mean, Manchester City fought back brilliantly against PSG. It was uh, a, a real tale of two halves, that match for sure. And, uh, you know, Pep Guardiola, you, you can never... Uh, expect that he doesn't have something up his sleeve and uh, you know Maurizio Pochettino you, you've got to feel sorry for him coming uh, you know out of the wilderness for a couple of nearly a couple of seasons there and he gets a hold of PSG with, with Neymar and Kylian Mbappe uh, if they go out uh, they'll be held to pay in Paris Bayern Munich have announced Julian Nagelsmann as their new manager on a five year deal starting from July with The Athletic reporting they've paid RB Leipzig 20 million euros for his signature 
33-year-old Nagelsmann joined Leipzig from Hoffenheim just two seasons ago and will now replace Hansi Flick, who looks odds-on to replace Yogi Lowe as German national team boss. Should Bayern win their ninth successive Bundesliga, as expected, it will be Flick's seventh title in two years. So he leaves the club on good terms, but what a story it is. A 33-year-old will be in charge of possibly the world's biggest club. Yeah, no, it's amazing. It's uh, We look at Ryan Moore at Tottenham Hotspur uh, stepping up uh, when Jose Mourinho uh, was given the uh, marching orders. Um, it seems to be the trend in, in in football, that uh, that younger, exciting coaches are coming in with uh, with new and fresh ideas. So uh, you know, Nagelsmann's done incredibly well at RB Leipzig, and uh, uh, there's no doubt that um, you know, with the firepower at Bayern, that uh, he um, his career is one that uh, has got many years to come. So a perfect segue there, Willem, because uh, we're going to wrap it up, and after the break, we're going to talk to the Athletics Raphael Honigstein, who is an authority on not only the Bundesliga but all things going on in Europe. We're going to find out a little bit more on the fallout from the European Super League story last weekend uh, and we'll have a, a yarn about the uh, the uh, signing of uh, Nugglesman as well. Stick around. That's all next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most Yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport. Now, like the rest of the sporting world, the uh, football world of course was fascinated by this but uh, the European Super League just, uh, well it didn't come out of nowhere we'd been watching it for a while, the project big picture we'd spoken to Henry Winter about it as well and it seemed to, to fade off but when it emerged boy did it uh, come on like a firecracker but then it blew up just as quickly and a man that uh, I know I was listening to quite a bit of uh, in analysis uh, both in terms of uh, um, radio from BBC Sport and reading his copy on The Athletic is uh, Raphael Honigstein and we welcome him back to the show. Raphael Thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me. It was an, quite an incredible story, the way that uh, that it emerged and blew up. It was leaked. Martin Ziegler, of course, had the story in the Times, but uh, uh, it it, um, it it blew up and uh, and went away so quickly. The uh, the way that uh, uh, the Athletic reported on it was uh, quite incredible. Uh, some of the, the summaries, you know, has there ever been a more baffling, crude, duplicitous, political, scheming, unsatisfactory, cynical, divisive week in the history of sport? Uh, I asked that question to you. It, uh, it was amazing stuff. It was, and duplicitous, I think, is the, is the, the word here, because UEFA, the ECA... A lot of people within other clubs had been working with these guys for three years on a Champions League reform. And there were tough negotiations and compromises. And up until, I think, Thursday and Friday, before the announcement of the Super League on Sunday, these guys were saying, yeah, this is this is great. You know, we finally have a beautiful solution, in the words of uh, Andrea Agnelli. And they were all ready to sign this off on Monday. And then... About eight, nine hours before, they all withdraw and uh, and say they've founded a Super League. So it couldn't have been more dramatic. It couldn't have been more, um, you know, adventurous, if you want to put a, a slight more positive spin on it. But mm. of course, these guys ran up into so much resistance. And I think their power base was nearly as strong that they thought and certainly not strong enough to, to pull this through because... What I think they didn't fully appreciate was that this wasn't just an idea to have a different competition. The fallout from this would have led to the destruction of the current football ecosystem. Mm. And even fans of the clubs involved, who perhaps might have looked at the idea of a Super League with, with mixed feelings initially, realized very, very quickly that this would lead to the end 
to football as we know it. And that's why you saw such a massive backlash on all levels. And, and the naive beyond parody line in that same article from the uh, um, the Athletic, uh, I think it largely refers to, to the Americans, you know, whether it's Henry, Glazer, Cronky. Uh, these are, are, are men who are heavily involved in closed shop competitions. And, uh, you know, this idea that there was uh, uncertainty around their ability to participate in a competition that uh, uh, had uh, three to four billion dollars every year was just uh, unacceptable to them. So they, they thought they could make a decision decision around business and then just get on with it and get JP Morgan on side and and then you had uh, Chelsea and, and City pressured into to joining um, it, it, uh, it just is bizarre that people with that uh, level of power and clout in, in the mainstream business world were, were as the article does say uh, as naive as they were. Yes I think that is the most interesting part of the story. You can understand why in Spain and Italy, the Europe, Europa League was was seen as a as a way to rescue what is what is a broken system for them. And their leagues cannot sustain the clubs; they are hugely in trouble financially. And the promise of three hundred million euros up front plus similar sums guaranteed every single year uh, was was such that people thought, okay, we'll, we'll just we have to do it. We there's just have no other way. For the English clubs, I think it was always a non-starter because they should have realised, even if you want to take away all the moral considerations and everything I just said about you know the, the wider football ecosystem, if you form a breakaway league with six English teams who always qualify, then what is the point of the Premier League? At that point, you know they should have really sat back and think, why is the Premier League so successful? Is it successful because there just happen to be big clubs in there? Or is it successful because it is big clubs plus competitiveness and real jeopardy? Because you can miss out on the top four. You can certainly not win the title if you're Man United for, for the best part of 10 years. If you take away all that excitement from the Premier League, what is what is left? And... I think it's only when the Premier League started making calls and telling them, "Listen, what you try is going, uh, what you guys are trying to do is basically to destroy the Premier League as we didn't know it and have it." Then I think the penny dropped. But as you said, it should have really been the first consideration. You know, what does that mean for our existing business, the Premier League business? Is this viable? And the answer should have been no straight away. Exactly. This is Box to Box. We're talking to the Athletics' Raphael Honigstein and the wash-up wash up of the uh, European Super League story. Raphael, I'm, I'm intrigued to know uh, your analysis of how Dortmund and Bayern were able to, how, how deeply involved they were in all of the pre-meetings and the preparations for the announcement of Super League. And then, um, obviously, they uh, decided to not be a part of the official announcement. So, just for Australian listeners, can you Give us, uh, shed some insight onto on those two clubs in particular and how their fans have reacted to the Super League and, and their um, involvement, uh, whatever that was. Yeah, so, so Bayern Munich in the past were part of a, of a Super League setup in theory. Um, they, they were looking at it, they were trying to evaluate what it means. Uh, one of the Bayern Officials looked at the possibility to exit the Bundesliga if necessary. Was that legally possible? This was all back in 2016. They realised for many reasons that it wasn't a good idea. They also realised, I think, 
which until now was sort of the the balance of of mutual deterrence that having a super league as a as a threat is more useful than super league as a reality you can pressurize your uefa into making changes without necessarily ever pushing the button because once you push the button um things become very problematic as we <laughs> indeed have seen um this time around they weren't involved because it was kept on a need to know basis i think there was an understanding on behalf of the conspirators that both Bayern and Dortmund would not be in a position to join immediately if at all they would have to have extensive consultations with their members and push this through domestically um they were both mentioned as clubs that should be invited as reasonably as uh, quickly as possible but they were not directly invited before because i think florentino perez and everyone realized that losing momentum uh, if you invite two clubs who then start you know thinking can we do it can we not do it this is going to leak is not going to help this the only way in their minds to push push this through is to have a a big bang with 12 clubs saying we're in it and not two or three more teams are saying we might join who knows whatever we'll have to talk so they weren't asked and i think they were happy that they weren't directly asked um they were to, to a certain extent surprised that this was done even though they were much were very aware of the wider discussions about the super league which had been going on for many years they didn't think this was going to happen now because they had assurances like everybody else involved in the process that the clubs involved were really happy with the new compromise that was about to be decided on that monday so even they didn't really know that the 12 clubs were this desperate a stroke determined to push this through it's fascinating insight and what about in paris uh, paris saint germain they uh, obviously the qatari owners um they elected to stay out um uh, some people have speculated it's because of their closeness to fifa and the the official the official um uh environment and uh and structure of the game uh, other people say that they were sitting on the sidelines waiting to see what happened uh, what's your view of uh, how psg viewed the super league well i think there are a couple of considerations first of all they don't have the financial need for a super league you know yes it's exciting to play in a super league and i'm sure um for the qatari owners you know to have even more glamour and visibility attached to their to their team in principle is is attractive but not at the cost of destroying french football i think they realized very quickly that this was just destroy league even further plus it would destroy their relationship with uefa which is a good one um fifa to a certain extent as well and it just didn't see they didn't see the attraction now what's interesting is in the contract that was drawn up between the 12 clubs involved it said that psg should also be invited and they should decide within 14 days dortmund and bayern should decide within 30 days i think that discrepancy is an acceptance that for Bayern and Dortmund this would have been much much harder because of their domestic issues and the and the structural problems of of doing that in the Bundesliga than for PSG for PSG it could have been done but they were very clear that they wouldn't wouldn't do it uh, some people have speculated that is it's because there's some Saudi Arabian money behind the Super League we haven't really seen any evidence to substantiate it this is a line that's being pushed by certain people within the industry Uh, and that of course would readily explain why the Qataris would not be anywhere near it 
But I have to stress again that as much as it is very juicy and exciting, a theory, there is not really any hard evidence behind it. So I think it was more done for geopolitical reasons, if you will. They realized this was not going to play well for them and they didn't see the financial need. So with both these boxes being unticked for them, there just wasn't a pressing case. Yeah, fascinating stuff. And um Really uh, great to hear your analysis of this. Before we let you go, big changes to the game of musical chairs uh, is uh, well in play in the Bundesliga. Uh, Hansi Flick uh, is going to take the hot seat to, uh, by all accounts of Yogi Lowe at Die Mannschaft. Uh, Julian Nagelsmann takes his place. And breaking news uh, at RB Leipzig as well, uh, all uh, uh, interlinking stories. I don't think we've ever seen a Bundesliga season where so many clubs have changed managers and have tried to recruit from within the Bundesliga, which then of course had, has created this domino effect with more and more clubs looking for more and more play, uh, managers. Um, Jesse Marsh, having been at RB Salzburg, was always going to be high up the list to succeed Julian Nagelsmann. I think it's come a little bit quicker because of Bayern, um, the situation of Bayern with Hansi Flick leaving uh, one and a half years into his his deal at Bayern. Now that opened up the opportunity for Nagelsmann to come in. It's been a dream for him, and that in turn produced pressure on uh, Abi Salz, sorry, Abi Leipzig to perhaps fast track their promotion of Jesse Marsh a little bit earlier than they uh, initially had anticipated. Um, there's still a few clubs that haven't decided on a new manager. Um, Frankfurt is one of them. There's speculation that they might pick. Oliver Glasner from Wolfsburg, which would then leave Wolfsburg with another <laughs> manager to pick. So, as you said, musical chairs, uh, all very, very entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hope it's just a, a, a one-off because, you know, the amount of change and upheaval, I don't think is healthy for the league if that continues now the next few years going forward. I, I really hope that we've, for some reason, ended up in this place where everyone is is desperate to to change but it's not really the best way to run your club with all the knock-on effects of you know having to change uh, the squad to a certain extent, having to change the backroom staff, etc. It's uh, it's a one-off. Yeah, I hope. hopefully for the Bundesliga. But uh, the spectre of uh, of Hansi Flick returning uh, the the German national side to its uh, its uh, normal place or at the top of the football ladder is not one that is welcomed by most of the rest of the football world, uh, uh, Raphael. Because uh, we all know when uh, Germany's up and about, uh, they they just win things, and uh, that means other people lose, doesn't it? So uh, uh, thanks again for joining us, Raph. Uh, we uh, we love your stuff, we love your copy, we love your, your comments. And and, um, and we also love the fact that you joined us on this show this week. Uh, all the best, mate. Thank you. Cheers. Raphael Honigstein on Box to Box from The Athletic. Very, very generous to our show, as they always are. All right, stick around with Dino after the break. We're going to talk more Europe on the show. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal. Yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. Fascinating chat with Raf. want to ask Edge uh, a couple of uh, thoughts on uh, the Super League to wrap up that story. But before we do, is your home running out of space? Well, I know many of you have called Storage King because I hear from Storage King telling me how many of you have done that. So if you're decluttering, moving, renovating, downsizing or creating a home office, Storage King has the answer. Will Manchester City need to uh, remove some of their uh, silverware from the cabinet to put the Champions League trophy? They'll need to put the Premier League trophy in there. They'll need to call Storage King. 
because they've got stores everywhere. There's a location just around the corner, even in Manchester City. No, I don't think there is, but I'm just saying that. They've got professionals who can organise it all for you. They're the kings of storage moving and more. Go to storageking.com.au and let Storage King, Michael, Willem, Dino and Damien give you back some space. Yes, plenty of space at Storage King there for is. all the important trophies that uh, Manchester City have. They might uh, just have a little vault over here in Australia and send it over for something for the Man- Melbourne City uh, administration to look after. Yep. Premier League trophy, Champions yeah. League trophy. Go on to Michael, um, Raphael, as you, you can tell, uh, there, there might be other people who know as much about the um, the arcane and inner workings of football, but n- no one uh, more than Raphael Honigstein. He really is an authority on the subject. But you know, you've worked closely in the business of football for many years, and um, you know you're connected to you know the uh, uh, the top flight, uh, the top uh, uh, brass in Australia is a better way to describe it. Um, to FIFA through your international tours and so on. Uh, so you know, what, what's your take on how this is all wrapped up and, and, and are there some burning embers there that just need to be flamed uh, by the likes of uh, Florentino Perez and, um, and Agnelli from Juventus uh, to, to start this whole bonfire again? Well, I think it's inevitable that change in the football landscape's coming. Uh, with the Super League stuff, I think there was three pots of... I think you've got a... What was the, what was the items that united these clubs to try this? Uh, why did you know? Because they all have very I think the different fact objectives. That collectively, seven point four billion euro that's in right. debt was the main one. Well, well, that, that, that's possible. But from the point of view of, I think there's three pots of teams. There's the American teams: Liverpool, Manchester United, Arsenal, and Tottenham. You know, they want salary caps. They want mm. financial regulation. They want cost controls. Mm. They want stable and predictable revenue. And they and their objective is to make money. Mm. Okay, so they that's what they want. Then I think you've got. Manchester City and Chelsea, who mm. want no regulation, they want a free market. Mm. They want to use their extreme um, mega wealth to give them a competitive advantage. But it's about it's about but prestige mo- for them, isn't it? No, they're, they're it's, not no, it's about money. political legitimacy mm. for the United Emirates. Well, but, that, but, but what I mean by that, that is that Manchester is prestige. And, yeah, it is. But, but it's political legitimacy and, and prestige. And then the Spanish and Italian teams. I mean, they've they want a level playing field. You know, the Premier League has driven salaries up. They have got mountains of debt that leaves their place in future competitions in jeopardy. So for them, it was about the money. So uh, all of those unique items sort of brought this unholy unholy alliance together. But mm. I'll tell you why I think a change in football is coming. And that is that Infantino, he's on the record of saying, he said that we need to be open to everyone. We need to be open to everything, to every proposal, to every idea. He's also said that he wants a Club World Cup to be 24 teams. His direct quote is, for me, it's not about Bayern Munich against Liverpool. It's about Bayern Munich against Boca Juniors. Mm. That's his quote that drives the expansion of the Club World Cup. Arsene Wenger, who's now FIFA's Chief of Global Football Development, he's actually made an official recommendation that the World Cup should be held every two years rather than the current four-year cycle. And Infantino has also spoken of an African Super League of 20 top teams. And he's also thrown his support behind the USA's MLS uh, discussions with Mexico's Liga MX with with a merged competition of three divisions across Mexico and the United States. So I actually think there's a lot of change coming in the FIFA and the Confederation worlds. Uh, it's just that the Super League clubs, uh, they'll tried have to... to hijack it. Yeah, they tried to hijack it. And, uh, and, and for all the reasons we've discussed over the last two weeks, mm. it was a shocker. 
Yeah, well, it'll be fascinating to watch what you've described. That's my summary. Yeah, well, you know, it, I think um, the, the people who look at the bigger picture of football uh, uh, would largely agree that um, that this is in- inevitably going to happen as the global village becomes smaller and more accessible, hopefully in a post-COVID world we're all inoculated because if that's not going to happen anytime soon, then no-one's going to play each other uh, outside of their own countries anyway. Uh, before we uh, go down that rabbit hole any further, let's talk about actual football on the pitch. Uh, Dino, we had uh, a couple of, um, of uh, very... Very uh, different um, Champions League semi-finals played. First of all, there was the uh, the Chelsea Real Madrid result. Uh, Chelsea really, uh, I think. Um that uh, Thomas Tuchel would be disappointed to have left with a one-all result there. They uh, they had that game in control, and uh, if it wasn't for Benzema, uh, who who changed the, um, the the momentum entirely off his own boot, that um, they they could have been going back to Stamford Bridge with uh, two or three away goals uh, in their back pocket. Yeah, look, without a doubt, I thought um, <clears throat> Chelsea's start, especially in the first 20-25 minutes it mm. was just domination and uh, it looked like men against boys to be fair mm. and they uh, had the opportunities but unfortunately then from some poor finishing mm. also some good goalkeeping um, mm. but basically Pulisic got them the lead and lovely taken goal, lovely taken goal. And, he stepped up under and, Tuchel hasn't he and he has and, and I think Tuchel if we just talk just quickly before we move on is that I think he's had a big, big impression in that dressing room. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think it goes deep, apart from the people like Tammy Abrahams, who's not mm-hmm. in the squad, well, he's in the squad, but not coming on. But the starting 11, 12, 13, 14, regularly playing, they're absolutely playing brilliant for them. But the one thing, as you said, Benzema was a big, big plus for them. He was, he was awkward all night. And he was the only, for me, only threat that Chelsea had to worry about and unfortunately they, they, they couldn't stop him with that uh, and it was a super volley and mm. um, and it's 1-1 and it's putting it in a really, really good position but I still fancy if Chelsea start like they did uh, in in in, um, in Spain, I think Chelsea will go through. Okay, and uh, and that's next week uh, as is the second leg of the PSG Manchester City match. Uh, we uh, talked earlier on in the show, uh, Maurizio Pochettino, he... Uh, you can't take a trick, can he? I mean, it, you would think that pretty much any manager in the world would have uh, walked into that lineup and uh, and just been licking their chops, thinking uh, we're heading to the Champions League. We've lost last year, and, uh, and we're going to win it this year. But uh, he he obviously has reckoned on uh, Pep Guardiola and uh, the small thing of uh, Manchester City standing in their way. So it, it, it was all going pretty well for them for a while there, wasn't it? They had the game under control um, until De Bruyne equalised in the second half in the the red card and it all went to... Well, the only way to describe it, Dino, after that is it went to shit for PSG. It, it did. Well, I mean, Poch had been there before, obviously, uh, from, from his Tottenham days, and obviously yeah. then he's been out of work for a long time trying to find the right job. Yeah. And I think I think for the way they PSG played in the first half, um, you could say that he'd had a, a really positive you know, uh, mm. reinforcement of, of his managerial, managerial experience that they, they were right in the game and they were, they were, I thought they most probably edged Manchester City in the first half. Mm-hmm. But when you look then with Pep, makes a couple of changes, the, the changing of um, the, the full-backs, that, that, was, that was a masterstroke because from, mm-hmm. from there on, it, it became really the... Sh- and, and, and if you look at the De Bruyne... I mean, what a player that boy is. Um, And for me, I think with a two-goal away, I mean, again, PSG can score goals. 
But if you look at that... But not against Pep. Pep Pep's not, not going to allow exactly his own fortress not, not, to not allow... Um, not at Manchester, no, I agree. And, and I think... And I think it could be definitely a Manchester... But it'll be entertaining because I they're going to leave nothing on the table. They're not going to go there and, and, and not uh, uh, attempt to nick it. So I, I reckon I you do, strap yourself I, in for I that I do want to minutes. mention one thing, though. I, and, and I know we talk about the world stars, but mm. who, who do you think I'm going to talk about? Benzema. Neymar. Neymar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, <laughs> I, I didn't even have to look. And it just, for me, he's such a talent. Mm. But going down like he does yeah. and rolling around he's just got to get it you look at Mbappe totally different character yeah. just bounces back up mm. you know mm. and for me if, if he's going to have if, if we're going to give him that you know like one of the best players ever in the world he'll always be remembered for some of his antics because mm. I think it's poor he will oh, he's definitely not in the uh He's not in the top group of players, Messi, Pelé. No, no. You no. Know, um, but he could be if, if he didn't do that. I mean, yeah, it, it yeah. just spores his image, I think. Yeah. Hey, uh, before we move briefly onto the Premier League, um, the uh, it was, wasn't it great to see fans back at Wembley last week? It uh, was. But um, you, you knew that after he got sacked that Jose, was, was, he couldn't lose because if they go out and win, he would have said, I orchestrated this and I will take my fair share of yeah. credit. But if they lose, which they did, he'll then say, well, you lost because you're me, but um, they they just seem to be far too defensive for me. Well, and, it was, it was um, a poor game, you know. Um, a 29 year old coach is, although he's got uh, you know, um, Spurs blood running through and through, um, uh, he just wasn't up to the wall. What, what, what he was good at, Guardiola. he was good at his uh, post match after. I mean, he, he's honest, a little bit too he, late know, for that, dude. I know, but it, it is what it is, and, mm. and he's coming up against you know, someone who's got a master stroke every time you, you step on a football field, so I mean. I mean, I thought um, it's very, it's interesting. Like in regards to even going into this week's uh, this week's games, um, if you look at just some of the games last week, and there's been like the, there was a, the Aston Villa uh, West Brom two two, and mm. you know there was drama there, and mm. we also are quite surprisingly four nil win with Burnley at mm. Wolves, mm -hmm. and, and and I'm thinking, do you think that the manager at Wolves now might be looking to be? Uh, uh, to move on. Yeah, well, look, um, I think the thing, is, you know, Nuno Espirito Santo has been there from the, the days of the champions, the championship. Um, and, you know, I did go there in 2018. And I think you maybe were having a little bit of a jab with me, you know, <laughs> suggesting that I was having expertise. <laughs> I had a bumpy chicken pie and a bovril at your recommendation. But, but Espirito Santo... He's still recovering. Uh, uh, <laughs> he's, uh, but but he, he turned that, that team into... Uh, you know, a, a genuine Premier League side, didn't he? Yeah. And and they've been, um, uh, you know, uh, a competitive side. No one ever takes Wolves for granted these days, yeah. do they? So, you know, it, it, it would be... Um, a massive thing for him to leave after taking them up after all those years and having so many Portuguese players involved because it would be just an entire cultural shift at the club if it did, did happen. So I hope I hope it doesn't. Dino, moving on to this week though, before yep. we do, um, you know, it's, it is a busy week. There's still uh, we're going to talk championship afterwards, but there's still you know a little bit of uh, flexing to go at the the top end of the, the competition with there only is. four match days remaining, and of course, uh, you know, it, the, the 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 teams that are going to drop are all but look. Uh, 
certain. But uh, what's your assessment of, of how it's going to go? We know that uh, you know it's it's a bit hard to think that that Fulham um, can survive here. We know West Brom and Sheffield United. Well, West Brom again mathematically could could stay up, but it does, it's just a big Sam looks like it's not going to happen. No, look, I think I think it's clear now. Unless there's a miracle, and and Fulham have been battling really well, but for me, Fulham, West Brom, and Sheffield are down in yep. my eyes. Okay, and, and and up the top end, so it's just so competitive. I mean, look, well, it's, it's West Ham have got it on their own boot to lose now, don't they? But they've got the uh, they uh, they've got the points difference in their favour. If they keep on winning, goal difference is okay. Exactly, goal well, difference. Not, not is, it's not as good as no. Liverpool and, and Spurs, but no. Spurs are still in there in the discussion because uh, uh, you know there's only two points separating them. So. Uh, and Leicester look like they're, they're pretty comfortable. Chelsea, not as much, but uh, you'd think that they're, they're, they're going to... Well, I think if we look point. at the, this week's games, the, the, the key games that most probably jump out are on the one on the Sunday with Manchester United against Liverpool. Always mm. a big, big game mm. for both clubs. And... And, and I think it's I think Manchester United will be runners up I don't think they're going to catch Man City So, but it's so much important for Liverpool to get those three points and put pressure on those teams like Leicester like Chelsea West Ham and even Tottenham below them and even Everton so I mean I think even Everton mm. uh, with that win last week um, they're on 52 points and they've got the game in hand they go to 55 so then then they're well they'll actually go to sixth place so they're they're knocking on door for Europe as well so I think the run home is fabulous what what other games are you looking at I mean Edge who, who, what game are you thinking that I think Newcastle Arsenal being an Arsenal fan uh, with you Edge I think this is one where uh, Newcastle are safe but if they're going to make it 100% they have to win this and then Arsenal, yeah. I think Arsenal are just looking, just trying to just push themselves up the league. Yeah, Arsenal's just trying to get through to the end of the season unscathed. But um, for me, the, the, it's Manchester United-Liverpool, huge game. Manchester United are in a rocking um, spate of form at the moment. So if Liverpool lose, Rob, um, it'll be hard for them to hard for them to, to get back, especially because West Ham, as you say... I, th- I think that draw against Leeds really a really, big yeah. chance, yeah. yeah. And, um, uh, but, but look, it could happen, but um, you'd think that... Um, it's uh, just a little a bridge too far. They might get within two points, but I don't think they're going to win it. But the Hammers, they've got to go to Burnley, and we know what Burnley's like. All right. Okay, boys, well done. Um, let's Great wrap that up there, because, yeah, we'll, uh, as, um, as our mate Derek often says, uh, you don't want to be on a turf more on a cold Monday night uh, for any reason. <laughs> they were stiff not to be in the Super yeah. League, Burnley. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Dino, Championship, we're going to talk your favourite yeah, subject way. next on Box to Box. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. This, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. We bring it home with the fourth official giving us about eight minutes to wrap it up. And uh, you know, lately we haven't been spending enough time talking about the championship because Dino hasn't been in the studio. We're still the Box to Box wanderers as we uh, we move from home to home. Uh, but he has been back in the last couple of weeks and he's been champing at the bit to talk about the championship, especially given that <coughs> under Wayne Rooney Derby County look like uh, they might just sneak out of this um, as one of the uh, the clubs fighting uh, to avoid relegation. Look, to be fair, they are in a world of pain and 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 to be honest with you, it's been in free fall now for about three or four weeks. Mm. I mean, they had a little spell just a month ago and where they got some points and, and realistically, it's it's a four-horse race. I mean, 
it's not really in the sense where Wickham, for me, they're, they're not going to get there, uh, even if they win their two games. But what Wickham can do is they can certainly spoil parties, you know, for yeah. different people. As, as and don't clubs through. that are about to go well, into the they drop do. love that. Well, they've just got nothing to play for now. Yeah. So now they want to say, well, I want to get my, make sure kick I'm, get my contract, your yeah. contract for next year. So as it stands at the m- bottom now, right, you've got Derby who are just one place above on 40 play. They've got 21 minus goal difference, but 43 points. You've got Rotherham uh, on 39 with a minus 16, so they have a much better... And a game in hand. Get, plus a game in hand, yeah. Then you've got Sheffield Wednesday, who's still alive, because they're on 39, but mm. they've got 21 goal difference. So then if you look at the games that we've got coming up, so this Saturday, we've got Sheffield Wednesday playing Nottingham Forest. Now, could Nottingham Forest with a th- real appetite to see Derby down we go well mm. we'll put the <laughs> have you been getting any messages well we have John Beckett's vegan I think the Hello, queue's John. gone in the rack yeah, yeah. we haven't him a shout out for a while Dino's well, old well exactly mate. right so so that could easily happen and, and and then all of a sudden Sheffield come alive and and if Derby don't get their result which is a really difficult one against Swansea mm-hmm. however Swansea are only playing for places in the top six that it won't change mm-hmm. the top six are done mm-hmm. um so maybe Swansea might just go, well, we might rest a few before the playoffs. Don't know. Mm-hmm. OK, but then it goes back to uh, Rotherham. They've got, the, they've got their last home game on Saturday against Blackburn. That when I was doing my reading on Adam LaFondre, he started his career at Rotherham. Yeah, he did. So there you go. And they're playing Blackburn. Interesting. And, suspect. and they back up against... Luton away on Tuesday. So Isn't this the, the this is an insight into the mind of a football fan <laughs> who is desperate for his side not to drop, who's done all the analysis, I am. all the workings out, and he's thinking it's going to happen. We're going to. Don't forget if they if they just survive uh, because Sheffield Wednesday would if they hadn't had the points deduction would be four points. Yeah, they would. Uh, yeah, Derby would be in the drop zone. So uh, no, he's exactly right. <laughs> So and, and, and realistically there then really when you come back to the last day so they're crap anyway Rob <laughs> Rotherham go to Cardiff Derby have got Sheffield Wednesday so no, that's the that's the game you're thinking well that's the right. three points because I don't think we're going to get any points against Swansea but that's maybe where the game is so if you were sitting in the uh, in the lounge room of your great mate John Beckett having mm-hmm. a cup of uh, hot tea on a cold Cold uh, spring afternoon in uh, in Nottingham. What would he be saying to you right now? We'd just be rubbing it in. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be a cup of tea. It wouldn't be a cup of tea. Either. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, okay, the top end. Um, so you, you mentioned the top six are locked in because uh, you know between Barnsley on six, they're on seventy seven points as are Swansea and Bournemouth. Uh, uh, so Reading are uh, sixty nine. So that that's all. I think the playoffs are going to be quite exciting. Yeah. So as we well. think that so Norwich are up, uh, yep. Watford are up. Yeah. Uh, so the the question is who of Brentford, Bournemouth, Swansea, and Barnsley. So yeah, that, that, those final games, now, Watford, which we all love. Watford, can Watford... No, no, Watford, Watford. I've got a big fan of the Hornets on another yeah. chat who made it very clear to a bunch of us that they're up. <laughs> they're so up. Um, so I, I know I've already stated that I'd, I'd love to see Brentford, um, you know, Bournemouth again, another team that, that have been recently, as Swansea have been in the Premier League. Yeah. Uh, but my preferences are, are either Brentford or Barnsley to go up. I'd love to see... Uh, those two clubs and we'll do a little bit well, of Thomas Frank the Brentford manager for me is a, is a cracker he's like he's, he's different he's out there he's got the weirdest hair first he's, season at the new club and yeah. he's, he's a rock and roll and, and he's, br- he's brilliant to watch like you, you could forget what's happening mm. on the pitch have a look at him like and mm. he's on, mm. the, on the on the hot sideline but, but they're a good side remember Dino they looked gone for all money, money at the start of the oh, season as well they were disappointed 
but they would have been so disappointed to miss out last season than they started this season. Into the new stadium, things were a little bit uncomfortable for them. They lost Ollie Watkins as well. Yeah, they did. Um, and we were sitting here going, oh, no, the dream might be over for Brentford. So the fact that they're sitting third and they beat uh, Bournemouth in a highly competitive game uh, just the last week gone shows how well they have done. Yeah, exactly. And, and, I, and I think, they, for me, they would be at my favourites going into the playoffs. Mm, yeah. So, what's your prediction then, Dino? Uh, you, you, if you had to pluck one of them based on your reading in the situation, you watch a lot of championship football. Yeah. Look, it, it depends on the draw as well. That I mean, if you just look at the the teams, there, it's eighty one points with Brentford, and then there's the three of them are on seventy seven, and it's only really then goal difference. But so isn't, isn't it because they're guaranteed to finish third through sixth? I mean, they. Um, it's a matter of keeping up their form, isn't it? Because they well, know they're going to play in the is, playoffs, yeah. and they know that they're not going to knock. But they might favour certain team. opposition to mm. give themselves to get to the final, mm. and 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 they're most probably that's what they're looking at now because there's nothing else to do. They're, they're not going to jump. Well, they might. Um, no, they won't. They won't jump into the top two, so it won't happen. So for me, I think they'll just be making sure they're competitive. They're sharp and ready for the playoffs, mm-hmm. and hopefully get themselves in a position where they're they're in control, and, okay. and that's supposed probably being third against six. Right. Well, there's only a month or so to go of uh, you know the regular season in, in Europe before we, we move to the Euros. Um, you know, there you know I, I guess we take it for granted now that um, that it is actually going to happen. I mean, yeah. there was a period of time where we weren't sure. But um, it looks like uh, UEFA have made the decisions now about the stadium changes. Yeah. Uh, that um, you know, where England is going to benefit from some of the, the matches that have been relocated. So, so uh, for those of you who are listening um, in uh, um, the anticipation of that great tournament uh, that was postponed from last year. The Euros are a cracking, it's a cracking tournament. It it is a hundred percent. So we're going to be starting to prepare in the next few weeks and uh, and previewing, and uh, and we'll be talking to all the big names um, around the world and and uh, and covering all all the matches for you. We should get uh, the president, uh, Prime Minister of Ireland, on Hmm? to talk about uh, what I was thinking of uh, Michael Martin. He mm. said uh, that UEFA was out of order for demanding that stadia be filled to the minimum of 25% capacity for mm. Euro championships. And as a result of that, UEFA said, we might uh, be out of order, but uh, um, we're going to take those four games. We're going to give two to Wembley in London and St. Petersburg, the fantastic Zenit, St. Petersburg Stadium, mm. gets a further two games because obviously they were going to get games. Yeah, we'll get Michael Martin on and then Alexander Seferin for the reply the yes, next week. That's right. <laughs> exactly. All the big games on Box And all I can say is. Uh, Daniel Eck from the Spotify co-founder Arsenal fans get behind him because he wants to buy Arsenal and we can get the uh, club out of the United States of America ownership hands okay alright well done boys thank you thank you yep lovely well done thank Thank you very much Michael thank you very much Uh, always a pleasure to spend this time with you Rob and of course Willem and Dean and Damo and sadly for uh, us, our friend Derek, he's um, probably you know coughing and spluttering as he's recovering from uh, his. You're um, on oxygen yet? No, no, he's not. He's okay. He hasn't got COVID. He's um, he's just got a bad bronchial infection, and he'll be back next week for us. Uh, he uh, he will have missed the opportunity to talk to Raphael Honigstein because he is a fanboy. Uh, but we wish you all the best, Derek, and hope you get better real soon. Is it Gunner? He'll get better. <laughs> Mate, that's not uh, an endorsement that I would uh, expect. Uh, would uh, uh, encourage anyone to think that somebody would get better quickly because they are, you know, a pretty lame outfit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, I've got to wrap it up here. Losing my way. Damo, thank you. All right, join us next week. 
Ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for joining us this week, first of all, but join us next week. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Boys and girls. Don't leave them out, please. No, I won't. When we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game. Well done, boys.